On today's Stuncast, we review Court Martial. Kirk is court-martialed after the death of a crewman during an ion storm, and the computer proves Kirk did it. Will Kirk beat the charges? Is Commodore Stone the most handsome man in Starfleet? What, what, what about Kirk's other crimes? Find out on Set Podcast to Stun! Hello, feeble-minded humans, and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint the Q, joined by Chancellor Emily Gowron and Captain Corey. Thank you for coming, Clint. Why don't you go ahead and just take a seat over there, Emily, uh, Uh, into the defendant's uh, booth, please. This is a pretty serious... He deserved it! It was a case of Klingon honor, and I would kill him again! No, Emily, you're not on trial. Clint, Clint's on trial. <laughs> what did you do? Oh, well, then he didn't... No, nothing. Can carry on. <laughs> yeah, no, this is... I'm going to have to ask for the levity to drop down because this is a pretty serious uh, situation. Clint, you did ask Emily to enter her recording booth, but you left all your saw blades in there, and you, I think, intentionally turned on the button that just clean cut those legs off um, from the thigh down. So she she now has no legs, and I think you're on trial now, bud. What? Uh, one, that's Emily's fault. Uh, that's where I store my saw blades, and if she gets her arms cut off or her legs cut off, uh, it's her fault. The, the defendant will address the bench and and not speak on his own behalf. I hope you've hired a really good attorney. So listen, here's the situation. Uh, I don't think we can have you My on this My beautiful pod- legs! The, the, the witness will not speak during this trial until spoken to. Uh, uh, it's okay. They grew back. I'll kill Clint later. <laughs> so I think that you're going to not be on this podcast anymore unless you can defend yourself in this court of law by, by showing us that you still have value um, here. So I'm going to need to see some really good episode reviewing today or uh consider this your court martial well howdy y'all i'm clint's <laughs> lawyer just a simple country lawyer who believes in the spirit of the law and i believe in a man's right to store his saw blades wherever he pleases in my imagination you're absolutely a rooster <laughs> the one from futurama probably my favorite character <laughs> in futurama is the country rooster lawyer i i was getting strong country rooster lawyer vibes from kirk's lawyer today i don't know if he was like based on him i don't think so but that's just like the vibe i was getting all right so let's see how well you do clint and then maybe emily and i will decide if uh you can stick around emily i'm glad your legs grew back by the way that's incredible Yes, Starfleet's uh, doctors assure me that they will be hairier than ever. (laughs) Okay, that's my dumb intro bit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, okay, cool. So I guess I'm, uh, I gotta really show off today. So let's, uh, let's get into the episode. So guys, what did you think about this episode? Thumbs up or down? Corey, you first. Thumbs up or down? Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Emily, what about you? Mm, thumb firmly in the middle. 
middle thumb. All right. Uh, we call that the middle finger also. The middle finger? Uh, I'm going to... Yeah. Because <laughs> it's in the middle. And then I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to say thumbs down. Ooh, and it all averages out so that I am right. Oh, yeah. This was an okay episode. Yeah. Corey, what's our status report? Okay, so the episode starts in the captain's log. Kirk is telling us that the ship has gone through a deadly ion storm. In fact, one crew member has died. There's considerable damage to the ship, so they have to go to Starbase 11. We've seen these Starbases before. They're like planets, and they're really beautiful. They're like little cities. And at the Starbase, we meet the dude who runs the Starbase, uh, Commodore Stone, played by Canadian actor Percy Rodriguez. He is probably the most handsome man um, I've ever seen on this show, but that's just an aside. Uh, Kirk, oh. you, you don't think so? I mean, I don't know if I'd go that far. I, the Commodore Stone, you think, is the most handsome man that you've ever seen on Star Trek? I mean, I haven't assembled a list of all the handsomest men on this show, but uh, yeah, he's up there. Wow. Okay. I just... <laughs> So I he's not unattractive. I just didn't I wasn't like wolf whistling when he came on screen. I guess I guess we're just really getting to know a lot about what uh what, Corey's ta- taste what I'm what I'm looking like. for. He is he is he is yeah, black as I guess well. So. <laughs> so Kirk is all sad. He's sitting in the Commodore's office because yeah, he's bummed out his crew member had died. And he claims, and the whole entire episode is going to revolve around this, that basically what happened was there's an ion storm. They go to yellow alert. Kirk sent a crew member to go into a pod to get some readings from the ion storm. It's never really explained how this works, but the crew member in the pod is kind of in danger. The whole thing was very contrived. I was like, what? (laughs) This makes no sense. Yeah. So the crew member, (laughs) if they're in this little pod on the side of the ship, they're in danger because when Clint, when Kirk decides to go to Red Alert, when Clint, <laughs> you can't blame me for this. I'm not taking the rap. <laughs> yeah, you're in enough hot water as it is. When Kirk decides to go to Red Alert, uh, he has to jettison this pod with the crew member inside of it. So the whole question is: is did he did he jettison the pod while they were still on Yellow Alert, or did he do it when he when they moved to Red Alert? So crazy, stunning stuff. <laughs> anyway, so Spock comes down. He has the computer logs to the ship because they have to do a little bit of an investigation about what actually happened when this crew member died. Same time, the crew member, his name is Finney, his daughter comes into the room where uh, Spock, the Commodore, and Kirk are, and she just starts screaming at him, like, Murderer! You killed my father! It's a it's it's very melodramatic and over the top. So Commodore Stone takes a look at the computer logs and he sees that there's a discrepancy. The computer log says that Kirk actually jettisoned the pod while Finney was still in it during the yellow alert. Kirk claims that he jettisoned it during the red alert, which would, you know, merit an emergency, but not the yellow alert. So what's going on here? The Commodore tells Kirk, you have to stay on the Starbase. You can't go back up to your ship. We're basically going to do an inquiry on you now. Kind of accuses him of, of, of being dishonest. So then we uh, then we go to the bar. So McCoy and Kirk go to the bar that's on the Starbase, and there's a bunch of Starfleet officers there, and they give Kirk the cold shoulder because word has gotten around that Kirk killed his own crew member during uh, un- unnecessarily during a yellow alert. And they give him shit for killing Finney, and they're like, oh, you're going to be down a, an officer now, I hear. 
Um, and, you know, they, they just they, they give him a hard time. Kirk storms out of there because he's pissed off. There's actually a cool scene where he's like, no, no, no. What do you want to say to me? Go ahead. Go ahead and say it. Uh, and he gets all confrontational. That that was cool. There's a reputation or like everyone knows there's a history between Kirk and, and Finney as well. Yeah, they don't like each other. Everyone sees it through that lens where they think Kirk yes. took this chance to get rid of Finney. I also like in the off in in the bar they have those little food cubes that you see, and then they have little sword toothpicks. Like there's these two guys <laughs> sitting at a table, and between them they have the food cubes with the little toothpicks, the sword toothpicks in them. No one's eating. Absolutely, them, I just thought that was hilarious. And that is such a 1960s <laughs> I didn't thing. That. Uh, to have like <laughs> jello and then those sword q-tips or not q-tips those sword toothpicks and you you just know that the writers were like well what are they going to eat in the future well obviously it's going to be jello and we're never going to get rid of these sword <laughs> toothpicks those are always going to be here so let's just always have that as every mill in every scene so uh, a quick aside at this bar scene mccoy spots a beautiful blonde and he goes over and talks to her and apparently they kind of know each other because this blonde knows kirk but that will come up in a little bit mccoy offers to buy her a drink so kirk goes in for his basic inquiry with commodore stone it's just the two of them and we find out a couple of pieces of information during this inquiry it's like being recorded you know it's all very formal uh we find out that finney and kirk used to be friends that years ago they were on the same ship when Kirk narked Finney out for something. Do you guys remember what that was? So Finney was on duty, like in engineering or something like that. And then he went off duty. Kirk went on duty. And this guy like left some like atomic shunt open or something like that. So then Kirk fixed it. He logged it. It was a strike against Finney. And then that fucked up his career. Like, he went to the bottom of the list for, like, getting promotions. And he'd already, Finney had already gotten kind of a late start, I guess, since he was an instructor at Starfleet Academy for longer than usual. So he felt like that just, like, sunk his career. Um, Kirk basically, you know, logging this, this right. incident against him. And, and that was yep. years ago. Years and years ago. But now Finney has mm -hmm. been serving on the Enterprise, and it's been kind of like a little cold war between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And they used to be really good friends. Like, they said Jamie, his daughter, is named after Kirk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, at the inquiry, they talk about the incident. Kirk genuinely does not know why the log shows that he jettisoned Finney during the yellow alert, when he's like, no, I know I did it during the red alert. <laughs> and then there is a fantastic scene where the Commodore turns off the tapes, and he's like, let's just talk candidly here for a second. And he's like, right, he's basically like, listen, just admit that you did this. We'll just give you like a soft slap on the wrist. Is that kind of the deal he was offering? Yeah, and then also you'll be grounded. So he'll his his command will be taken away from him, but he it won't be like any criminal proceedings. Yeah, and then Kirk's like, not only do I request this court martial, I demand it so that I can defend myself. It's a it's a really <laughs> cool a literal line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, also he's like Starfleet is trying to like sweep this under the rug to like not look bad. Right. So if I did this wrong, I want to be punished and I don't care if it gives Starfleet a black eye. I want the truth to be known. I don't, I don't care. Like if I'm guilty, then I should be punished, but I think I'll be proven innocent. I mean, yeah, I think Kirk is like, there's no way I'm wrong. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, he is really sure of himself. So after this inquiry scene where they're definitely going to have the court-martial the next day or later in that day or whatever, Kirk meets up with this bombshell blonde, and they're having drinks. And it's really similar to, uh, what's the episode with Data? Or is it Measure of a Man? Yeah, except they did it way better in in Next Gen. Yeah. But of course it's later, so that makes sense. It's Yeah, so it's like... The, the, the Kirk and this blonde had a uh, relationship and for whatever reason, they don't really say why, like they, they don't have this relationship anymore, but he's still like holding her hand across the table. So apparently there's still feelings there. Um, she's now a... Uh, the feeling is he has a boner. <laughs> uh, she, feeling. She's a lawyer. Her name's... Yeah, her name's Arel. Arel. Yeah. Arel Shaw. Do you guys yeah. prefer I call her by her name instead of saying bombshell blonde? Is that, is that not a very progressive thing of me that's, to do? Uh, that's fine. <laughs> uh, Arel, she's a lawyer. Um, Kirk's like, hey, do you want to represent me? And she's like, I'm busy. I can't. And he, she's like, I have a lawyer to recommend you, though, that you need because you really, really need one. And uh, he's like, why can't you do it for me? And it turns out, drum roll, brrr, She's the prosecuting <laughs> lawyer. <laughs> what? Yeah. No. Oh my god. So Kirk goes and meets his 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 own lawyer, who's a cool dude. I I really like the guy. Would you, I mean we'll talk about the character a little bit more on, but I I like the the scene where he walks in and and meets the lawyer for the first time. Yeah. So the lawyer is like books, um, and <laughs> he has a bunch of books in Kirk's apartment. I don't know, and he's like. These are great, and computers are bullshit. Then they start the trial. He's like, I'm going to defend you, and I don't know. I Hijinks ensue. <laughs> There's piles of books everywhere. There's got to be like 100 books in this apartment, and they're all like just dusty old tomes. And he's just saying that, you know, you can't, and you can't appreciate the letter of the law unless you have the books themselves. They're all uh, sanitized when you look at the law on the computer. So he's, a, he's an old school kind of lawyer. Yeah, I think he's like... Yeah, I think he's like, they're sanitized. Uh, what was it? He like rhymed, like, homogenized or whatever. Yeah. And I had a note. I'm like, good lawyers always rhyme. Uh, uh, so, uh, I enjoy your uh, invention of a new word, homogenized, Clint. <laughs> <laughs> the, de- the defendant will not invent new words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says he like in the in the trial he'll be all like if the computer does not compute you must transmute <laughs> the the verdict into not guilty. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so okay, so th- the next scene is that the court martial begins. Um everyone's sitting at their little tables. Uh the lawyer brought did you guys see the lawyer brought in like six tomes to just put on their table too, like dusty tomes not organized in any way. I thought that that he was just funny. Glares at and he had books, a, books. He, he had a legal pad too, yeah, instead of um, he's writing with a pen, like a tablet or whatever. Yeah. Hmm. And the the door to this to this room is a hinged door, which is this is all all kinds of old oh, that's stuff going on here. <laughs> okay, so I don't want to go through every single part of the the trial here, but like Spock is called, he says it's like super unlikely that Kirk would do this. It's impossible, he says. Other people go up. They. S- it's not according to Kirk's nature. Yeah. To do yeah. This. Uh, I have so many irritations with this. 
Uh, McCoy goes up. He's like, uh, I'm a space psychologist. And although it's possible, it's super unlikely. But the prosecution gets him to admit that it is possible that Kirk pushed the red, the, pushed the jettison button while they were still on yellow alert. I will say the one thing that really bothers me about this testimony is that the, all of the testimony is about Kirk's character. When in reality, all those people were on the bridge with him. They could have just said, what order do you remember him giving these commands in? And they would be able to say, I remember him doing it in this order. And it would have, like, that makes more sense to me. But, but like, they did that, right? They, she asked Spock, like, did you see him press the button? And he was like, no, I was busy. So it was like everyone was busy doing stuff while he supposedly ejected Finney. I, I find that very unlike i why don't they have a line of like someone being like nobody saw oh my God. it drives me nuts somebody would have seen him push a button or been like or shouldn't you just like shoot you know shoot a flare it's so it's so i just i it bothers me so much like why wouldn't they it would have been someone had to have the computer seen it. recorded it the the computer had the the record of it Ugh. kirk's lawyer calls up kirk because his lawyer, in, in you know, cool ass fashions, like refused to cross examine any of the other witnesses. You know, he's like, "Nah, I'm good. No, it's okay." Yeah. He calls up Kirk, and yeah. basically, what we get out of that scene is Kirk is like, "I didn't do this, and if I had to do this whole situation again, I wouldn't change a thing because I'm in the right." He's like super sure of himself. <sighs> so then the prosecution brings up their best piece of evidence, which is the security cameras from the ship. And they watch the the the, the, the event itself. And we kind of cut to that. It's like a little mini episode. And we watch the ion storm unfold. We watch Kirk's and Finney down to the pod. We watch them go on yellow alert. And then it zooms in to Kirk's armchair. And his his chair has three buttons on it. <laughs> One button says yellow alert. One button says red alert, and then the third button says jettison pod. Those are the three controls that Kirk has. I thought that was hilarious. What a poorly designed... It would have been funny if just the uh, the ship was shaking, and he was trying to push red alert, but it just shook, and he accidentally pressed eject pod, and he's like, oh, fuck. Yeah, or it spills coffee on it. Yeah, because I don't have any lids. So the the video clearly shows Kirk jettison the pod while they were still on yellow alert, while Finney was still in the pod without any warning. And it's pretty damning evidence. Kirk is like, holy shit, like, I, I didn't think that's what happened. But he's still really sure that something's fucked, something's going on. They take a break. Spock calls Kirk to let him know that, yeah, I couldn't find anything wrong with the computers. And then Kirk put has, like, this, this, this one-away line where he's like, well, it looks like I'm done for, but I hope your next captain can beat you at chess. And then Spock's oh, like, Jesus. chess? Hmm. This is where I wondered if uh, Spock was behind the whole thing, just so he could get a captain that he could beat at chess. <laughs> <laughs> the, it's the uh, dark universe Kirk, or dark <laughs> universe Spock. He's infiltrated. He was 10 minutes late to get the computer records to Kirk and the Commodore at the beginning of the episode. And I'm like, instantly, I'm like, I don't trust Spock on a Starbase if he's not where he's supposed to be. Yeah, that was a weird detail that they threw in. I think he was trying to, like, recheck it to, like, this isn't right. Yeah. Like, this shows that yeah. Kirk is guilty. But I'm just like, oh, man, Spock's behind it all. <laughs> We've seen this before. 
<laughs> so the very next scene, this this episode is just one scene after another after another. It is jam-packed. Um, but the very next scene is McCoy mm. finds Spock playing chess against the computer, playing 3D chess against the computer. Spock says that he's beaten the computer four times, which should be po- impossible because Spock programmed chess into the computer, which is a weird thing. Like, he just did it recently. Like, the computer didn't already know how to play the oldest game known to man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the easiest game for a computer to play. <laughs> So they're like, they're like, this shouldn't be possible. Like, I shouldn't be able to beat the computer four times in a row. Like, at the best, at best, it should be a draw because I taught the computer how to play chess. This makes them get a a, a, a light bulb above their heads, and they're like, we got to beam down to the planet and let the inquiry know that Spock beat chess, beat the computer at chess four times. <laughs> they run down there. They interrupt the court martial and they get the trial to reconvene on the Enterprise so they can they can t- show the trial that there are issues with the ship's computer. During this trial on the ship, Kirk's lawyer develops a theory that someone is messing with the computer and the visual log, right? Like when we saw that button get pushed, that wasn't, that was, that was faked. Um, and he said, it's likely that maybe Mr. Finney is still alive, that he staged his death and he's been faking all of these records <laughs> and fucking with the ship. And maybe I'll let one of you take this one on. Cause I, I at at this point, well, at, th- at this point, I was like, okay, I can't write any more notes about this episode. Th- I just wrote something called the heartbeat experiment. Would one of you like to take that on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll oh, jump in. I just God. want to note too that they ha- have had three venues of change, three ven- three changes of venue in this trial so far. I just love too where he says something dramatic in like the enterprise conference room and then they cut to them all in the bridge but they're like have chairs and stuff set up i just love those like funny moments but anyway so yeah they're like they evacuate the whole crew they turn up the audio sensors and they hear everyone's (laughs) heartbeats (laughs) they start eliminating everyone's heartbeat one by one right so they eliminate everyone on the bridge and then well, and I just want to say you can you can hear the heartbeats as like a cacophony. Just you can hear every. There's like ten people mm-hmm. on the ship right now. It's and like a just... roar. Yeah, kukunk, kukunk, kukunk. and then they eliminate everyone's heartbeats. There's one heartbeat left, and so they go track it down. Wait, 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 wait. Let me interrupt you. There are two heartbeats left, and then Kirk's like, "Okay, that the one of the heartbeats is the person that's still in the transporter room." Mister Spock, eliminate his heartbeat. And I just like to imagine Spock just reaches down and pulls out an assault <laughs> rifle, and he's like, "I'll be right back." <laughs> I pictured the exact same thing. Like, Spock is the chillest about murder. <laughs> no, just just use the filter, and then Spock's all disappointed, and he's like, okay, fine. He's like, either way, it's it's over. So yeah, there's one heartbeat left. I forget, it's in some part of the ship. Engineering. And they're like, hey, Kirk, do you want to take down a... Sec- yeah, do you want to take down a security team? And he's like, nope, I'm going to do this myself. Great decision. <laughs> So he goes down, he looks for the guy, the guy's taunting him, and, you know, he can't see him. It's the kind of thing where, like, Kirk's walking around, and Finney's, like, doing his, like, monologue, like, hello, Captain, ha ha ha, you're never gonna find me. You know, just really classic evil. (laughs) Oh my god, it's so weird, voice of God over, like... Yeah, and you, you... You were all in on it. You're all against me. So anyway, yeah, the guy surprises Kirk, puts a phaser to his back and disarms Kirk. And of course, we get a great fight scene. Lots of people flipping. Kirk gets his shirt ripped. Always great. Always amazing. 
they um i mean i don't i kind of forget the fight is kind of boring but like finally kirk kind of like like the guy's like you know the ship is gonna fall to the planet and explode and then kirk's like well your daughter's on the ship and he's like no why did you bring her not my Uh, daughter and then it's you can tell that they're kind of like running out of time because like kirk is like broken sobbing you know uh finney tells me like how he sabotaged the ship and then i go there and i begin to fix the ship yeah they just voice it over he fixed yeah yeah he just fixes the ship and they're like oh okay and then there's a last scene with kirk and rl the the uh lawyer uh the legally blonde that's what we'll call her legally blonde (laughs) (laughs) not too reductive oh my god you're so proud of it (laughs) and then they kind of talk and he kisses her on the bridge and then he sits down spock and bones are right there and he's like oh she's a very good lawyer and they're both like yeah they make out on the bridge they they make out on the bridge (laughs) that'd be funny too if it was like a full-on like makeout session and everyone was just kind of like uncomfortable It definitely, I was uncomfortable with them making out on the bridge. It's like, this is where we drink coffee without lids, people. <laughs> Kirk goes back to his chair and he just starts, like, he takes out a nap and just starts wiping off all the lipstick off of his face, just like nothing happened. <laughs> he actually, no joke, sits down with his hands over his crotch. Like, he clearly <laughs> has a boner. He was just, it was just escaping death. He was just very glad his ship was safe. Yeah. Well, there, there is a part earlier, I think during his testimony, where someone's like, would you do anything differently? And he goes, no, because nothing's more important than my ship. And I was like waiting for the like, and all the lives on it. I saved a thousand lives by getting rid of one. <laughs> nope, just the ship. He's like, and I fuck it every night. <laughs> he can't. The ship has to stay chased. <sighs> All right. He wants to. He rubs. He rubs his boner against it every night. <laughs> uh, just real quick, the whole pod thing. Like it again, it is not explained. Like why he had to jettison the pod. Like what the relationship was between the pod and the rest of the ship. Like I don't know. For how in depth this episode was, it was just strange that that whole thing was kind of gray and ambiguous. There's a lot of ambiguity about it. But anyway. Yeah, that it was super contrived. I didn't understand why he had to be in the pod, why the pod had to be ejected, why that pod is even ejectable in the first place, and why you put the button. I mean, like, I feel like, shouldn't he have more important buttons on his console than, like, yellow alert? I mean, yellow alert, red alert are fine, but also, like, eject, eject pod. pod. Like, <laughs> yeah, why is that on the captain's chair? Like, shouldn't there be other things? It's like if he had, like, a kill crew button just on it <laughs> that's the secret button that's yeah. that's box button never press the kill the entire crew button we haven't talked about the most important thing that i want to talk about oh and it's the crazy outfit that jess jesse um finney's daughter is wearing the whole time Jamie. did you guys notice that thing no. It was like it was like a like an anime adult sailor suit kind of situation. Yeah, it was like this weird futuristic Japanese schoolgirl uniform. It was like a sailor suit. It was so weird. It was very distracting. It was. It. it was also weird because like the actress playing her was probably in her thirties, 
But I couldn't tell, like, how old, like, was she supposed to be 12? Was she supposed to be, like, 16? Like, I thought she was Finney's wife when she first came down and called Kirk a murderer. I did, too. And then Kirk was kind of, like, grabbing her shoulders in a really weird way. And I was like, oh, she must be, like, 15. Like, But she looked a lot older, but they were dressing her like she was 8. It was... It felt, you know, like we've talked before on Shore Leave how uh, Roddenberry was like doing a rewrite at the last minute. And it feels almost like that where they were expecting her to be very young. But then they were like, wait, she has to find out that her dad is alive and like not spill the beans, but also not be able to keep it a secret. So we have to make her a little older. I yeah, I don't know. It was awkward. She looked so weird. Yeah. And it was like this weird blue see-through thing with weird, like a ribbon imprint. And then she was wearing like a skirt. It was just looked really weird and kind of gross. I don't know. Clint and I talked about this on our uh, No Starships for Young Kids Captain's Log where the, the, the age of children, they're either like, they're either a baby or they are 10 years old or they are... <laughs> 30 right there's no like 13 year olds yeah. like you'd never see that on tv it, like that doesn't exist it's prepubescent or 30 until wesley Cru- wesley crusher is the only teenager that's ever been on star- a star <laughs> fleet ship yeah. i mean i feel this happens in sitcoms all the time where they like need to inject some drama so someone gets pregnant but, like, you can't maintain a baby on a show because they don't do anything. There's always, like, a funny, like, I'm so tired or the baby won't stop crying bit. But then, like, how do you just have a toddler? Like, you can't have a toddler on a movie set or a TV set. No. There's nothing exciting about those things in a sitcom setting. And so, yeah, kids are one-offs and it it's awkward unless you think it out. Yeah, just in terms of human development, like there is a black hole, there is a desert of toddlers being on TV because I just imagine they're so difficult to wrangle and get to do any kind of acting. So it's either they're a baby or they're right about to hit puberty because there's just a area in the middle mm-hmm. where you cannot give directions to a toddler. It's easier to have like a well-trained dog than, you know, than to have a, a, a toddler on your show. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. I will say the one thing I did hate or I did not hate was the Jello cocktail bar. Love the shit out of that. Uh, Ariel has like this weird psychedelic outfit. Everybody's mm-hmm. drinking these cocktails out of coops and they've got their little Jello appetizers and there's like plants and unnecessary tiki drinks. I I loved it. Did you notice her earrings in that episode? There were like two stained glass window squares they're they're huge and they like sparkled and then when the camera's on her there's like the sexy sax playing quietly in the background yeah i I did did notice notice her her earrings earrings. i want Mm -hmm. them i love them did you also notice her drink it was like very like fruity with like a bunch of like garnishes yes yeah garnishes and stuff and then he had like a little like shot of whiskey or something when he was drinking yeah i noticed all of that i love the shit out of it talking about the lawyer chick ariel or something i thought she like really fucked with the tone in the like when she was wearing her psychedelic stuff like every time that she was on screen in the beginning like it really shifted the tone very weird because you first she meets uh bones and he's looking to bury his bone 
Oh, he's like, my best friend is on, you know, like might lose his career or go to jail. And he's like, this is a good time to flirt with this blonde. Yeah. And then Kirk meets her later on. It shifts the tone to like a lighter spectrum. And it just seems to really clash with like how serious this episode was. It was better when she got like into uniform and she was actually being a lawyer during the trial. Uh, She seemed to do a good job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if we're gonna if we're gonna start talking about characters right now and just starting with her, but the transition she makes from just being like a Starfleet lieutenant who's you know like a, a a beautiful intelligent woman to being the lawyer, where she she's like a badass. She does not hold back at all, even though Kirk is her past lover. Like they, she does everything she can to just destroy all the witnesses and destroys credibility. I I liked her character. Like I think. She was a little flat for being a recurring character, but I thought for a one-off, it was pretty pizzazzy. What, so what'd you guys think of, I forget what we were talking about, but uh, what about this uh, <laughs> Samuel Cogley guy? Yeah. Okay. So he's played by uh, actor Elijah Cook Jr., who was a prolific character actor in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Basically, I was looking through his IMDb page. He any looks sh- it. Yep, yep. Any, like, show you can think of from that time, like, he was on it. Batman. Oh, like, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, he, he was on every single show, and he just, like, everyone knew him. Um, but I thought he was the best character in this episode, and he was he was, he was was fun, he was quirky, he, he was kind of a dork. But uh, he had like I, I like it when people have like one notes to them and they they're it's an easily relatable character. His note was that he was archaic and you know you could just you could relate to that. He had a whole speech that we didn't talk about where he talks about like human rights. But I felt it was it was kind of a weird speech because he basically he's like the defense rests like he's all dejected because he knows he can't win. And then suddenly Spock and McCoy bust in and they talk about their chess adventures and then the prosecutor's like, well, you can't use that as evidence because the defense already said they rested. And I, and I feel like the, 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 the judge, the trial panel was like, ah, no, let's consider it. And then he leaps into this huge speech about human rights and how it's so important. Like this Atticus Finch, like crazy speech about the history of like the Magna Carta and everything. When I feel like they'd already agreed that he could present his evidence, (laughs) but I don't know. It was, it was, it was was interesting. (laughs) I did like he when he brought up like future human rights documents like the Mars declaration or something like that oh. and Alpha Three or whatever. Maybe the speech seemed seemed weird. I saw a bit of trivia that Elijah Cook he had a really difficult time remembering his lines for that speech, so they had to put it together in editing. So maybe that's why it felt kind of weird and and disjointed. Hey, that's like what we do with your bits on this show, Clint. Yeah, <laughs> you. We actually just have a, a a word bank with Clint's like whole like phonetic alphabet, and then we just kind of staple things we together. Just, yeah, we just play it like Gene plays his keyboard from Bob's Burgers. <laughs> Corey is so smart. I can't stop farting. <laughs> I like the character. I hated the lines he was given. There's a part where he starts, like, listing stuff in this rousing speech. Like, he's talking about the Mars declarations that Clint brought up. But he starts, like, just listing shit, and he starts with, like, the Bible. And I'm like, there are way (laughs) older, 
law doctrines. Like, you could go back to, like, Aristotle and Socrates and, like, Scotland in the 1700s was, like, this huge beacon of law thought. And I was just like, this is the laziest rousing speech I've ever heard. And he he mentions Hammurabi. But he pronounces it like Hammurabi. Yeah, he... I don't know why. Maybe they just said that in the 60s. <laughs> I couldn't. Yeah, I didn't even quite catch that. And also, I have to just be a really annoying person here. But I am a writing teacher and I master's is in rhetoric. So my grad school was like reading classical rhetoric and borderline like philosophy and stuff like that. But like this argument of like new technology, bad, hurt thinking old technology good (laughs) like that has been that argument has been made throughout all of human history and it's not true like socrates bitched about writing because people wouldn't be able to memorize stuff anymore in like the 1800s people complained about pencils and paper being affordable because writing on a slate is somehow better like people complain about typewriters came out and people complain that that's going to be different than writing with a pencil computers came out the vatican The Vatican hated printing presses because then everybody would have the Bible. Yeah, it's like Mm -hmm. it's such a boring argument. It doesn't degrade thinking. It makes stuff more accessible. And so I just whenever I see something that's like, you can't really get knowledge unless you get it out of a book. I'm like, shut up. Just shut up, Black Mirror. (laughs) This is dumb. I didn't I felt like the character was pretty like underutilized, like other than his big old speech in the middle. Like, I really didn't feel like he did any like. It was like, okay, like, he's an old lawyer who likes books. And then, like, he wasn't really used that well until that speech. And then that's pretty much all they used him for, so. Clint, I have a proposed edit for you. Because one of the things that bothered me was I thought Kirk or someone would have cottoned on to the fact that they were being purposely sabotaged a lot faster. So, like, what if we go to the scene where she's like, I can't defend you because I'm the on the other side, but I have a recommendation for you. And they go to Cogsley and he's like, wait a minute. So you say this is what happens and they say this is what happens. I think there's something wrong with their computer. And like, then he becomes like this sleuth, like this sassy Southern sleuth. And Kirk the whole time is like, there's no way there's something wrong with my beautiful ship. And Cogsley is like (laughs) sneaking around Yeah, and, then and he's the one that he, maybe plays chess. Yeah, he's the one that plays chess, or he plays chess against Spock, and they're, like, talking about, Spock's like, this is so much better than the computer, I programmed it, and blah, blah, blah. And Cogsley's like, my my god, man, that's it. And then <laughs> the fight happens, Cogsley finds the guy, and he has him hostage, and he's like, what are you gonna do now, Captain Kirk? And that's, see, that would be a better utilization of this this mm-hmm. character right yeah cogsley mm-hmm. disappears yeah. for the last third and you never really see him like he, he goes on a mission to, be... to get the daughter to bring her on the ship but you never see that happen and then he like leaves at the end of the episode to because he's now gonna defend finney but you never see any of that and he's like for how much work they put into this character he just just disappears yeah it'd be funny if rl was uh or whatever the lawyer chicks yeah i don't i forget rl or something we anyway, called her a different be... thing every time i know it'd be funny if she was just trying to sabotage kirk though by sending him to like a shit lawyer who's a crackpot. <laughs> she's, like... she's like this is how i win all my cases <laughs> well and <laughs> slept with every man in starflet <laughs> and then he loses his commission and he has to stay on starbase 11 as her prisoner Ooh. Ooh. 
see, this is okay. So here's something that I'm only now starting to see on TV a little bit more, but I I made a note that the Commodore, sort of like the guy in charge of everything, as Corey famously introduced, is a handsome black man. And then we have this. He's okay looking. He's <laughs> no, 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 no. I I don't think that. I just someone else told me that. Our our lawyer, our super smart lawyer, is a, a woman. Um, the other judges are like there's like a Indian, Middle Eastern looking guy. I think there's like a, another black guy. So there's like these diverse people in positions of authority, which is pretty cool. But they're all like good guys and i get that it's the 60s so it's not like you want to be like hey look at this space gangster and it's like this black guy that's not helping anybody (laughs) but i feel like now in 2021 we're starting to break out of the model minority and i'm seeing black people be just like every spectrum of character on tv a little bit more and that's Mm -hmm. that's nice to see yeah cool like uh Oh my gosh, now I can't remember the name of the show. The one about they're dead and Kirsten Bell's in it. The Good Place. Like, The Good Place shows us that Asians can be stupid, you know? They don't all have to be good at math. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about Finney. And I was just disappointed that he was basically, like, crazy. Yeah. He was kind of just, like, cracked up. And he was like, everyone's against me. You guys all, it's a conspiracy against me. I i was just so disappointed that he was kind of like such a crackpot and like so mentally unsound. I thought it would have been a, a lot better if he was more like devious or, you know, yeah. it, it just kind of irked me. Yeah, it's the same. It, it made me feel like that Hamlet episode where the ending is just the daughter is crazy. Well, so while, while we're. Oh, punch- oh go ahead. Here's the rewrite for you. Here's the rewrite. Okay, so Finney figures out, or not Finney, sorry. The lawyer figures out that the computer is screwy. And this whole time, Kirk's like, I demand a trial. I demand a trial. And Commodore's like, fine. But you know what? If we give you a trial and you're found guilty, you're going to be put to death. And the whole time, Spock is like, well, that's logical. And it's logical that this happened. He's, he's like, I don't want you to die, Kirk, but that's my emotions. And so this whole time, Spock's being kind of a villain. And then when the lawyer figures out, it really is a computer error, not a scary bean. And so Kirk gets off. Finney is exonerated for being the murderer, because that's another theory. And then it just ends with Spock going like, my God, I really would have put an innocent man to death because of logic. Yeah, no, that'd be, that'd be interesting. The and, and also, I wanted to say like one issue, not well, one thing about Kirk is that he's so goddamn squeaky clean. Like everything he does is by the book, above board, extremely efficient. Um, he's so confident with himself; he never makes a mistake, and you never really see him slip. Uh, one thing I like about Picard is like he'll fully admit that when he was a kid, he was a shithead. Like he did bad things, and it, you know he recovered yeah. from that. So I was thinking one way to make this episode more interesting would be to have the thing that made Kirk and Finney not friends anymore not be some thing by Kirk where he's like, "Well, I saw a mistake and I logged it as I as as you know my Starfleet regulations tell me to do." Like I wanted it to be something where it was something shitty that Kirk did. Like maybe Kirk fucked him over. And it was like petty and something a human being would do because Kirk's a human being, if we can still remember that. And then Finney would have real good um, 
uh, Cass's belly to do something bad to Kirk again. Like, I don't know, but he's just so squeaky clean. I, I like that a lot. I also know that's a great, that's a great idea. And I just want to inject, I like about the, the Abrams reboot that like Kirk is a little bit more like troubled and like a troublemaker because like mm-hmm. he didn't grow up with his father. So like the first scene is him, like he like stole like a car or something like that and was on a joyride. And then he got arrested for that. He's also like in the Abrams reboot, he's much more like risk taking for the sake of risk taking. Like you kind of are mm-hmm. like, is Kirk? He's like an adrenaline junkie. Yeah, Mm. exactly. And I wrote that, Corey, I like your rewrite idea because I wrote that, like, this whole episode, like, Kirk is not sympathetic. Like, he's never worried. He's never sorry. Like, he's like, oh, I'm sorry that I killed him, but I'd do it again. Like, he's just not. I don't, like, like you said, he's so perfect that he's, like, not a human being that you can relate to in this episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So here's my thought about something that's different between TNG and TOS, and it's the representation of the American ideals. And And let's just look at the number mm. of Americans on the ship or people of American characteristics. On TNG, it's just one, right? It's just Riker. And Riker's brash. Yeah. He's, um, he's uh, what, what's the word where you, where you like to sleep around? He's... Alaskan. <laughs> <laughs> He's a he's a Lotharia. He's promiscuous. Sexually he's promiscuous. Libidinous. Yeah. He's he's a little boy slut. He uh <laughs> he likes combat. <laughs> he yeah, he's he's he has the American ideals because he's an Alaskan. Everybody else on the ship is not from the American heritage. Like Kirk's from France. Actually Beverly, I don't know where she's from. But anyway, she doesn't come up that She's much. like Scottish. She's like has a Scottish oh, yeah. ancestry. Oh, yeah. There's a yeah. terrible Remember episode. Remember that, <laughs> that ghost episode? Yeah. God damn. She, I, she gets, I don't know, brainwashed by a ghost. Early, I have, a I, have a, ghost. I have a theory about that episode when we get to it. Okay. Let's put a pin in that for like yeah. six years. <laughs> but in TOS, it's like. They could have just subtitled it like Florida, the show, because like it's so much goddamn <laughs> testosterone and like American brashness. Yeah. And I'm not trying to like hate on America or anything like that, but like it's just it's a little bit too much because everybody like even McCoy, the doctor, the nerd, he likes to fuck. Right. Like everybody mm-hmm. is so, um, so just arrogant and just confident. Everybody's American yeah. except for Spock, I guess, and, and Scotty famously. So and they rip Spock so much for it. mm -hmm. I think too, like there's that idea of like I don't know, like a red-blooded American man. Like there's that comes up a lot in terms of like sexuality too, where it's like any red-blooded red-blooded American man likes Betty Grable. How about them gams? You know, like (laughs) yeah. Clint, you sound like such a drag queen this episode. He's a little boy slut. <laughs> Bitch, please. <laughs> so anyway, that's I, my yeah, American bit. Corey, I agree. You've said before that you want like a classic TNG episode where they like go to a planet, encounter some aliens, have an adventure. But I think what makes those TNG episodes like chewy, to use our drag queen's word, is that they are actively engaging with another perspective like here even when we encounter aliens they're just like the villain that you fight against 
and Kirk and crew are proved to be like unassailably perfect and correct. Mm-hmm. There's no like moral grayness or like reckoning with difference. You're either Starfleet or you're a dirty commie. <laughs> I, I was I should have put this more at the top of the episode, but I wanted to say that I felt like this is the episode that we've all been waiting for. Like we've all wanted Kirk to be court martialed and like <laughs> held accountable for all his murders and crimes, and like. And it finally happens, what... and he gets off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just another typical white man getting off for for his crimes. Yeah, I uh, I will say one thing that I did love and that I have been waiting for um, is this seat. This episode just starts. They just get right into it. Like yeah. we just immediately mm-hmm. know what's happened. There's no like big, long. Well, we're going here because of this. And then whoops, something else happens. Yeah. And 20 minutes in, here's your main plot. It's like, nope, they get right to it. And I loved it. And like when I was writing the notes for this episode, um usually I will write down a line and then 15 minutes later, I will write down another line. If something occurs to me, I had to keep pausing this episode (laughs) because it is so dense. Like it was just right off the bat. It just gets going. I could not take a break and look at what people were having as their cocktails. (laughs) I did love at the beginning of the episode when the Commodore was talking to Jim, he's like, you're played out, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you're going to say to us when you want us to be quiet? You're played out, Corey. Yeah. You played out, Emily. Just go back and drink some bloodline. Let me take care of this. I would love old timey slang and just the general old timey accent to come back. Uh, sometimes when I get drunk, I just start talking like that. <laughs> Listen here, fella. I like you. What are you gonna do about it, huh? <laughs> I'm gonna take you home and meet meet my mother. <laughs> Why, I yada. Okay, so like Clint. This has been a court martial for you. Let's go ahead and read our verdict off. Emily, do you do you have a well, we'll we'll just do a unanimous vote here. Do you think Clint should be able to stick around? Well, he did give me a flagon of blood wine while we were recording. So yes. Yeah, and I liked it when Clint said boy whore earlier. Is that what you said? <laughs> uh boy slut. Boy slut. Okay. So yeah. just for that one line, you get to stick around. Okay, let him out of the bench. Yes. You're free. Woohoo! Boy sluts, save me again. However, we're going to refer to you by your drag name from now on. Oh no, what is it? Uh, I don't know. Let's see. There's got to be a drag name generator on the internet. Clint, I'm doing one for you. Let's see. What is your deepest desire? Inner and outer peace, a compassionate world, personal growth, finding true love, understanding other people. Not the last one. Uh, the third one? Personal growth. It's not going to happen with us. What would you say is your strongest quality? Intelligence, kindness, creativity, strength. Emily, how many questions are there? Yeah. This is, I think, the last one. Do you have a bucket list? No, you don't have a bucket list. Rachel Tension. Rachel Tension? Yeah. Rachel Tension. Get it? Okay, that's that's my drag name, Rachel Tension. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I'm Rachel Tension signing out, telling you, until we see you next time, keep on trekking. Yeah. Goodbye. What? I did a I did a quiz at the same time, and I got the drag queen name Drag Queen. <laughs>
Cory Cory is the mystical drag queen. The queen to end all queens. <laughs> he will finally <laughs> He will he will unite all of the queens so they can rise up and become fabulous. <laughs>